Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 77 of the podcast, the Ray Bork edition, let's call it, uh, because we have a lot of fun stuff going on right now. It is the most fun time of year in hockey with the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Calder Cup playoffs, the CHL playoffs, <laughs> the ECHL playoffs, which you'll be able to see on Flow Hockey. We'll talk about that today. But the postseason is here. We also have the World Under-18 Championship. NHL Central Scouting just put out their final draft rankings. I mean, let's just say it. Everything is happening, and that is what is going on right now, and that is what we are going to talk about on Talking Hockey Sense this week. So before we get into everything, just want to remind you, as always, if you have not yet and you like to listen to this podcast, make sure it is downloaded, you are subscribed to it, leave us a kind rating and review if you would. That really does seem to help. Um, we've gotten a lot of great ones over the years and really appreciate the audience that's been with us from before the, the flow days to even now. Um, and we're going to continue to make the show better as much as we can. So hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Also, you can watch every episode of this podcast on YouTube or on Flow Hockey via the Flow Sports app or certainly on your desktop or phone. It is a great way to interact with us and we love Anyway, you find this podcast, so hopefully you guys are enjoying it. But we have so much to get to and not a whole lot of time because things are really, really busy around here. As I mentioned, the Kelly Cup playoffs are just about to get underway. And that's where we're going to start today because we, you know, the ECHL is a league that maybe doesn't always get the attention that it deserves. It is one of the feeder leagues, part of the NHL farm system, every team affiliated with an NHL team. And there has, especially this year, it's just some phenomenal hockey across the ECHL and wanted to kind of break that down a little bit. We've got, you know, 16 teams remaining in the hunt here for the Kelly Cup, which is, you know, a very coveted trophy and certainly one that teams are going to be battling after quite hardly this year because, boy, I'll tell you what, we there were some phenomenal performances but there was none better than the team performance of the Idaho Steelheads this year, an ECHL record 58 wins. It is, uh, you know, that, that record stood for more than 20 years, and the Steelheads pretty much just obliterated it. They won the regular season title a month ago, you know, I mean, and now they're going to play in their first round series here against, you know, a team that, that, kind of found their way. They had to battle their way into the playoffs in the Utah Grizzlies and in the mountain division, the ECHL uses divisional playoff structure. Uh, so they'll play within their divisions in the playoffs. So great rivalries and a lot of teams that are very, very familiar with each other play in the first round. So it's a very chaotic kind of, uh, you, you know, just amazing couple of weeks of hockey where we expect very close series, but you know, Utah's got their hands full. They've got the number one team in the league in Idaho that they're going to have to play. They get that series rolling Wednesday. There's a lot of other things that'll be happening, but wanted to talk about some of the other top teams and other top performances. And also wanted to call to attention to one of the best individual performance of the season. And that belongs to Hank Crone of the Allen Americans, 105 points this year. He just won the league's rookie of the year. That's right. He's a rookie. He won the rookie of the year award this year. And just had a sensational season on the scoring front. 105 points. He's the first player since 2016-17 to eclipse the 100-point mark in a season. So Hank Crone of the Allen Americans, that's going to be a fascinating matchup with him. Uh, playing the Kansas City Mavericks, you know, he's a guy to watch for sure. And it's funny because the last guy that eclipsed 100 points in the ECHL is now Hank Crone's head coach, Chad Costello, who's a legend of the league in, in his first season 
as a head coach. So should be a very fascinating series there. Um, also, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on the Toledo walleye for a number of reasons. The Detroit Red Wings affiliate, they have Sebastian Cosa, who's a top prospect. They also have John Leatherman, who is a top-tier goaltender in the ECHL this season, one of the best in the league. And he has now been returned from AHL Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids didn't make the Calder Cup playoffs this year. They're going through a coaching change. Um, you know, so they've gotten uh, the Toledo has gotten a lot of players, I think seven or eight players from the Griffins sent down, including top prospects like Emil Vero and Donovan Sabrango. Um, and then of course they already had Cosa. So a lot of really good talent on Toledo's roster, and they're looking to bounce back. We we highlighted them early in the season. We did a, a mini documentary at their training camp. They fell just short of the Kelly Cup last year. They have not won the Kelly Cup since Toledo has uh, been the walleye. Uh, they have had a, a, a very rich hockey tradition, but this is a team that very much believes that it can win it all. And they've got TJ Hensick. They've got John Albert. They've got you know Simone Denis, who came back uh, after a couple of years in Asia. Uh, uh, you know they've got uh, a lot. Brandon Hawkins, who is. If you've never seen Brandon Hawkins shoot a puck, he's one of the top goal scorers in the ECHL and has been for the last couple of seasons. I mean, he is as good a sniper as you're going to see at any level. Um, so definitely Toledo is going to be a big team to watch. The Newfoundland Growlers as well. Big time team. They had great offensive performance throughout. They've had good goaltending. They've gotten great support from the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have sent a lot of guys between the Toronto Marlies and Newfoundland. Um, you know, they managed to get Pavel Gogolev back. So this is a team that is very dangerous offensively, and they get their series rolling. It's Adirondack, who had to get into the playoffs on the very last day of the regular season. On Saturday, they were playing uh, the Worcester Railers, and in that game, this is something you will almost never see. The Railers had to win in regulation. The game was tied late in the third period. Even though the game was tied, the Railers pulled their goaltender. Adirondack scores an empty net goal. They advanced. They only needed one point in that game. The Railers needed two, so they, it was something the Railers had to do. And that is how we ended the regular season. So it went down to the wire. So if the, the battle to get into the playoffs was that intense, you can only imagine how intense it's going to be when all of these teams go head-to-head for the Kelly Cup, it's all on Flow Hockey. You can go to flowhockey.tv for an extensive watch guide. You can figure out how to watch the games. And if you haven't yet, subscribe now because you'll get the ECHL playoffs and the USHL playoffs, which will begin in a couple of weeks. And we'll talk about that one next week. So a, a lot of great fun on Flow Hockey coming your way. It does not get better than playoff hockey, and we've got a whole bunch of it for you right here on Flow Hockey. So do not miss it. All right, moving on from one postseason to another, this one has massive NHL draft implications. And we are talking about the 2023 IIHF World Under-18 Championship. And this is an event that has always been one of the most important and most scouted events of the entire season. You'll have NHL GMs going overseas, wherever it is, they are going to watch these players. And this year in particular is going to have a very strong number of players that you're going to see go very, very high in this draft. Now, they won't have Connor Bedard, who played in this tournament twice. They won't have uh, Adam Fantilli, who's too old for the tournament, so the top two guys that we expect to go. Matvey Michkov will not be there either uh, because of uh, Russia is banned from uh, international competition still, and so they would have been in there, and he's not going to be there. However, you've got a number of high, high-level players on both the U.S. and Canada for the drafts in 2023, 2024, and even 2025 
based on who's on the roster. But Canada's got a bunch of NHL draft prospects, guys like Colby Barlow and Lucas Dragasevic and Andrew Crystal. Um, you know, it, it, there are so many really good players on that team. And then the U.S. team has perhaps the best line in all of junior hockey this year, although probably any line that Connor McDavid or Connor Bedard rather was on was probably the best line. But the U.S. has Will Smith, uh, Gabe Perot, and Ryan Leonard, all three together, over 40 goals each this season. Perot and Smith went over 100 points already. They each have an opportunity to potentially break the single season record for scored uh, points scored in uh, an NTDP season because the U.S. under-18 team is is all brought from the national team development program except for a couple of players. And so that is going to be just a tremendous matchup that we are so excited to follow. Um, the tournament begins Thursday, April 20th. And so there's going to be a lot of activity around that tournament and a lot of people uh, watching it. It'll be on NHL Network in the U.S. But of course, it's a majorly, majorly scouted event. So I just wanted to go through a couple of other things about that tournament. And also, we've got some questions that I'll get to in just a second as well, because instead of saving all of our questions to the end of the podcast, we're going to answer them within the segments that that they came uh, that they that they belong to, because I kind of put out a call for questions with uh, some prompts and, and, of course, as always, the Talking Hockey Sense listeners delivered. Um, but. To start us off, I just wanted to quickly go over Team USA a little bit more. As I mentioned, they have the big line of, of Will Smith. They have uh, Gabe Perot and Ryan Leonard all at the top. That's Those are the guys that are going to be very hard to stop, and those are the guys that a lot of teams are going to focus on. But if you stop that line, you've got the next line, which is led by Oliver Moore. And we just had uh, just released on both YouTube and Flow Hockey um, a series of NHL draft profiles and the two of the most recent ones are on Will Smith and Oliver Moore. Now, Oliver Moore has been the number two center on this team all year. He's not on the first power play unit. He doesn't have the numbers of the other guys, but he has very much put himself into the top 10 conversation for this draft. Might fall a little bit outside of it. We'll see exactly what happens, but we'll get to NHL Central scouting rankings in just a little bit to, to dive into his stock a little bit more. But Oliver Moore is a, a tremendous offensive player. He's got really good talents around him. The under-18 team, which also has the under-17 team at the National Team Development Program, called up three players. Cole Eiserman, James Hagens are the two forwards that they called up. They also called up Cole Hudson on defense. So you've got two just absolutely dynamic scoring lines. They also added from outside of the NTDP, Kerry Terrence, who is an incredibly gifted skater, has a high motor. He'll play down their lineup. He's actually a dual U.S.-Canadian citizen, uh, but will represent the U.S. internationally. And he is, you know, the only skater from outside the national team development program that, that they decided to bring to this tournament. So this is a team that has increased its forward depth over the last couple of weeks through call-ups and, and guys that they've been able to acquire from other teams for this tournament. And then they've got really the, 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 the major factor is how does Trey Augustine hold up in net? He is one of the top goaltenders ranked for this draft coming up. He is an outstanding, you know, he played at the World Juniors. He's got a lot of international experience. He played in this tournament as an underager last year. But, you know, if he can be the difference, that's going to make a huge difference for the U.S. To, to have goaltending, that is the key. You have to have it in this tournament. They have a lot of confidence in him. He's got a lot of confidence based on his experience, and you'll also be able to hear more from him when we release his draft profile a little bit later in the month. So a very exciting team USA squad, the defense core 
is uh, probably below average for this team or for the NTDP at this tournament. Um, you know, they did call up Cole Hudson, but they have a, a number of very interesting players. Paul Fisher uh, is going to play a ton of minutes in this thing. Uh, Aaron Manedian is going to play a lot as well. You know, so those are players to, to be aware of and, and to know about because they are going to have some big time minutes in this tournament. But absolutely one of my favorite events. I'm sad I won't be there this year. I've been there the last five years, I believe, uh, except for the pandemic year, of course. But, you know, it is a tremendous tournament. It's a precursor to the World Juniors and obviously a very important NHL draft event. Um, but before we move on, I did also want to talk a little bit about Team Canada because this is a team that absolutely has a chance. I'd say USA is the favorite for the whole tournament. Uh, you know, they're, they're guys that play together for most of the year, and that allows them to, you know, to, to kind of get that chemistry going. It gives them a bit of an advantage. But Canada's roster this year is very strong, and they, they added some underage players as well. Max Celebrini, who you've seen on Flow Hockey all year, he joins Team Canada officially. He's going to miss uh, the last little bit of the regular season for the Chicago Steel. They do have a buy in the playoffs, so they're expecting to get him back, um, and, and they'll hope to still be, you know, playing and, and, and alive there. Uh, but then there's also going to be some some real talented 2023 draft eligible players. Of course, uh, you've got Celebrini, who is 2024 draft eligible. But, you know, this team has has Matt Wood back. He played at UConn this season. He, he, he accelerated his schooling to enter college at 17 years old. Youngest player in college hockey, more than held his own. He's got size. He's got strength. He's got scoring ability. That's going to be a handful for a lot of teams. They've got Callum Ritchie, who is a, a player that, I you know, he's he's been hovering around that top 15 top 20 uh, area all season long. He's going to be a major factor for this team. Uh, Andrew Crystal, big time production, and he's a player with a lot to prove at this tournament uh, after playing for the Kelowna Rockets this year. Tanner Howe, another underager, a guy that's not draft eligible till next year. He was on the same line as Connor Bedard with the Regina Pats and had major numbers. So that's a guy that they're going to be able to lean on quite a bit. I also think that the defense is going to be a, a major uh, plus for this team. And that's going to be led by Cam Allen, who's the captain of Team Canada. He was the captain at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which Canada won. Um, so they are going to be a force to be reckoned with, with you know depth throughout. And then just like the U.S. has a real strong goalie, we fully expect that the starting goalie for Team Canada will be Carson Bjarnason, who played for the Brandon Wheat Kings all year long. He is the number one North American ranked goaltender by NHL Central Scouting. That is going to be a big spot for him to be in. He has plenty to prove himself. But if Canada gets the goaltending, as we've seen in this tournament before, they have a chance. Now, they're going to be missing many other players, guys like Zach Benson, Braden Yeager. You know, those are players that are not with this team. So they're missing some of the top guys and the core players. But make no mistake, this Canadian team has a real opportunity to do some damage. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned it a little bit. You've got Max Celebrini. So this is a great preview, not just for the 2023 draft, but also for 2024. Celebrini, Tanner Howe, uh, you know, Parter Martoni, you know, they've, they've got a lot of, uh, of really good players on that Canadian team. The U.S. has uh, Cole Iserman, who broke the U-17 goal-scoring record at the National Team Development Program this year. And on Team Finland, Aaron Kiviharju, who has been the phenom that a lot of Finnish fans are extremely excited about, bit of an undersized defenseman, but extremely mobile, highly skilled, a guy that moves pucks really well. He's going to be back in this tournament, so plenty there to uh, get excited about with the 2024 group as well. Uh, but beyond that, 
you know, this is going to be a, a tournament that features a lot of talent from, from Europe as well. Some high-end, high-level prospects. We'll be keeping a close eye on all of those guys. Um, but we're going to also now get to your questions because I think that that will help kind of direct us a little bit further. And I'll be able to talk a little bit more about some of those European prospects that are playing. And, you know, our first question is, is, is a good one. And it, you know, I think that this is a tournament that is so important for the NHL draft. So, so I want to get to this one from JT. JT asks, which prospects have the most to gain at the U18s and how similar is NHL Central Scouting's list to a team's rankings typically? I'm going to answer that second part later because we do have a segment about the Central Scouting. But I do want to answer your question about who has the most to prove now because I think that this is a tournament where that is absolutely, it's your last chance of game action to show scouts and general managers and some of the most uh, important decision makers in the NHL what you're fully capable of in a high level situation. You're playing simply against your age peers. You're playing simply against, you know, the, the, the best in the world at, at yours. Now it's not a true best on best because we are missing some of those players from Canada that would be here there, you know, there's other players that are, are, you know, not available or injured or whatever, but that's, that's basically where we're at. We don't have a true best on best under 18 worlds, but we have a pretty darn good one. And so to answer your question, JT, you know, I would say that pretty much everybody has something to gain from this, but I would say that the players that have the most to gain are probably the players that play European professional hockey. And I'm talking more about Edward Schala and Dalibor Dvorsky. Those are two players. You've got Schala for the Czechs and you've got Dvorsky for Slovakia. Those are two players that have a ton to prove. Um, they played all year in professional leagues, Dvorsky in the Allsvenskan, the Swedish second division, Shala in the Czech uh, Pro League, which is a very difficult league for teenagers to get minutes in, to produce in. Um, but these are two players that, you know, still have a lot of respect in the, you know, the scouts don't look at the numbers as much. They look at, you know, the, the full body of work. However, at this event, both of these players are going to be viewed as top offensive contributors. They're going to be important at the other end of the ice. Those are players that can show the full complement of their abilities because they're going to play massive minutes. And if you're an Edward Shala and you have a big tournament and you maybe get Czechia further than people expect, that says a lot about what you can do. It's a small sample, but it also allows scouts to see when he was against his age peers, he was dominant. You know, that goes a long way. So those two guys are, you know, I think that they're they're the ones that have a lot to gain. They're not the only ones, though. I think Canada's D, uh, some of the defensemen, I mentioned them already, Cameron Allen started the year very highly touted as a potential first-round pick. I don't think that you'll see him on any first-round lists here in the near future. However, it's an opportunity for him, having played in a very difficult situation this year in Guelph where they were, you know, getting kind of, buried in, in possession, everything else. He wasn't really able to shine playing on a good team, being a, ch a chance to be a leader. Once again, he had a very strong Holinka Gretzky cup when he was playing at the U18 level. So getting him back within this, in this environment could be very beneficial and remind people, you know, what they saw earlier this season. And certainly at the end of last season, another guy, Lucas Dragasevic, big time numbers. He was in this tournament last year as an underager, did not have much of an impact at all. I don't think he was really put in a position to succeed, but I also don't think he was quite ready for that. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a polarizing figure. There are certainly some teams that will have him as a first round draft prospect. There are others that don't, he's got, you know, good size. He, he, the defensive 
end of the of of the spectrum for him is a little bit of a concern still. He showed this year that he can produce and has skill, but the defensive side still needs to work a little bit more. So he's a guy where he can play a leading role on this team, show that he can defend against top-tier talent because he's going to go up against a lot of elite players in this tournament, and that will really go a long way. The other guys that I think really have a chance to separate themselves is not really separating themselves from the pack or the draft. It's separating themselves from each other. And that is the U S quartet of, of, of top tier players of the guys we've talked about so much already. Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, Gabe Perot, and Oliver Moore. Those are the top four guys that, you know, you ask around to scouts and they will put them in a different order. There are people that have Ryan Leonard first. There are people that have uh, Will Smith first. There are people that have Oliver Moore first. It's really hard to figure out, but this is a tournament where they can create a little bit of a separation. How did you perform at the most important time of the year? These guys build up two years to this event. It's all what that program is built up to, to, you know, to help that it's the crowning achievement. It's been several years since USA hockey has won gold in this event. You have to go back to, I believe 2017 or 2018. I, I mean, it's, it's been a long time, which is, uh, which is not common because they are the team that's together the longest and should have the advantage. Uh, but it's a very difficult tournament to win, especially when you get into a one and done. So to see how those guys perform at the biggest time of the year, that is going to be very important. All right. Our next question came from Kevin and Kevin asks, Chris, what's your take on the timing of this tournament for Canada when half the kids on the team would still be in their junior playoffs? It sucks when we can't see Perron, Gauthier, Height. Jaeger and Benson. Kevin, I agree with you. It does suck not to see those players. Um, however, there's not a great time for this tournament. I think midseason, I've what does this tournament ultimately do and accomplish? We've got the Holinka Gretzky Cup in August. So that's an early season tournament. As we've seen time and time again, success in that tournament and what you do in that tournament doesn't necessarily uh look is not necessarily what you're going to look like at the end of your draft season. I think for the timing of this event, it has to be at this time. Yes, you do lose players because of that. And it is unfortunate. And we have no true best on best under 18. I know hockey Canada and TSN have said that, that the Holinka Gretzky cup is, is best on best. It isn't. Um, Canada is still the only team that sends their absolute best team there. Um, sometimes you'll get some of the other European nations, but the U S never sends the national team development program to that event. So there is no best on best at the under 18 level. That said, you do get enough of the players and, and is it a true measuring stick at that point? It's hard to say. I mean, I, I, but I think because the European leagues, and you have to remember that eight of the 10 teams that participate in this tournament are not in North America, their seasons have completed. They are for the most part, they're done. You know, they, there have been a few years where, you know, Russia had to pull a kid from the KHL playoffs or pull from uh, a Swedish team, got a, a player right off of the uh, SHL championship or all Svenskan championship, you know, so that has, has created kind of some, some difficult situations for those teams where they don't have the best players. That said, because this is such an important event for the draft, I think that the NHL would certainly, they, it's not really their call, it's the IIHF's call, but I'm sure the NHL would balk at moving it any which way. You don't want to have it too late. You don't want to have it too early. Um, you know, you don't want to pull kids out mid-season. And one thing I will say, the NHL draft season for, for draft-eligible players, and I've said it before on this podcast, is one of the most exhausting, long seasons of any year 
for these poor players. You know, they 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 basically go from August, or if you're in you know at player development camps for USA Hockey, July, going into August, going into your regular season in September, and then you go nonstop. And then right after the draft, it's development camp. And right after that, you might go to um, World Junior Camp in about a month after that. So there's really not a lot of time built into rest. So, you know, you couldn't really put this any other time. So it's not ideal. I do think it's the best of all worlds. Europe, the European teams and the U.S. teams are very strong in this. Canada still has the player pool that where even if they don't have 100% of their best players, they do have enough to compete. We saw them win uh, the tournament in Texas a couple of years ago. We did; They were very poor last year, did not play very well, even though they had Connor Bedard last year. Um, so this is an opportunity for, for a lot of those players that may not have otherwise gotten the opportunity to wear the Canadian sweater as well. And that's an important thing too. Um, so it's a great development opportunity. It's It kind of mimics the World Juniors as well. So that gives them kind of preparation. But um, all in all, I understand your point. I agree. I just don't think there's a real great solution. All right. Our last question on the under 18s comes from our pal sports guy. And he says, hey, Chris, who do you favor to win the under 18 Worlds? Well, well, you know, I think that this is going to be a very interesting year. The European teams, not very strong. I think Sweden has some weaknesses. Finland has some weaknesses. Uh, the Czechs and Slovakia don't have the depth. Um, you know, the same with the Swiss. I mean, there's just not a lot of teams that are going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the U.S. and Canada in this tournament. Now, the U.S. and Canada are on separate sides of the bracket. So the soon it, we, we expect both would finish first in their groups. We would expect both of them to be on a collision course to only meet in the in the final. Um, there's certainly stranger things can happen, but it's that's the most likely scenario. Um, I do give the U.S. the edge. I think that their continuity, also the fact, you know, I think they're very well coached. I think they've got the goaltending this year. Um, you know, I think Trey Augustine has a fire in him from how last under-18 Worlds ended. Didn't end very strongly. Um, so I think that that's going to be a, the fuel for this team. Canada is going to give them all they can handle, though. That is a very good team over there, and I think that that's going to be, you know, I think you're looking at Canada, USA, 1-2, and then it'll probably be between Finland and Sweden for bronze, which it often is at this level. Um, so, you know, Sweden won the world the world under-18s last year on a, in an incredible performance against a very good U.S. team. You know, I think the U.S. team definitely has its holes and its flaws this year, but ultimately I think that's the team to beat as uh, as everything goes but Canada is a force to be reckoned with and USA certainly not just simply going to walk through this tournament with that Canadian team on the other side. All right, let's get to some NHL draft talk. I mean, talking under 18s, we're pretty much talking NHL draft, but another major moment on the NHL draft calendar happened this week and that is the release of the NHL Central Scouting final rankings. Now, there's a little bit of hand-wringing out there because why do they release it after, before the World Under-18s is over and before the CHL playoffs are over? There's a lot of data that and, 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 and information that you can take in over these last few weeks. I think mostly it's simply because, you know, this is – the, the central scouting serves a number of purposes, one of which is generating interest, and they have to get those out before the NHL draft lottery, which is on May 8th. And if you haven't seen it, the odds for that, of course, the Anaheim Ducks have the best odds to land Connor Bedard. Congratulations on finishing last in the NHL. You won. 
You won the opportunity. You won the best opportunity. You might still not get them. The lowest they can pick is third, but either way, the Ducks are going to guarantee themselves a franchise-changing prospect, whether it's Bedard or Fantilli or Leo Carlson or even Matt Mitchkov. I think any one of those guys could really be a, a, a massive building block for their future on top of the players that they already have, and the Ducks have quite a few. But really want to give a quick summary of the rankings, and then we also got a number of questions about the central scouting rankings. So I want to get through that right here. And before I do that, I'm going to take a, a sip of water because, as you can see, I'm just talking by myself right now, and it gets a little dry in here, and it's allergy season as well. So let's let's pause for one water break. All right, now let's see if we can get through the whole show without coughing. All right. So in the North American skaters, of course, Central Scouting breaks up their list. You have the North American skaters, the European skaters, the North American goalies, and the European goalies. I like this for the reason that it doesn't allow you to know exactly the full order of what Central Scouting thinks. I think it's kind of fun that way. Um, you know, there is no such thing as a definitive list for the draft. Um, but what Central Scouting does is they basically try to act like the 33rd team in the NHL. They have, uh, you know, a number, like a half dozen scouts at least. Um, they have some some people that are full-time, some people that are part-time that do that job. And they, you know, are essentially professional scouts. They're, well, amateur scouts technically because that's what the NHL refers to. Their scouting department as amateur scouts. The scouts aren't amateur. The players that they're watching are. Uh, but, you know, I think that that's... Uh, it, it creates a, a lot of debate and certainly, you know, central scouting is not perfect, nor is any public list, nor is any single person's list, nor is any team's list. Um, but it does give you an, an idea. So no surprise as to who the number one and number two North American skaters were, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli. It's been that way all year. I think the big question was, what was the rest of that list going to look like? And I'll tell you what, you know, central scouting certainly, uh, certainly certainly made things interesting here because the number three player is Will Smith from the national team development program. The number four player is Matthew Wood, a big time riser, had a very strong season at UConn, uh, put together 23 or 34 points in 35 games, nearly a point per game as a 17 year old freshman in college hockey, really remarkable production. He also has that size factor at 6'3, 193. We have a question about Matthew Wood, so we'll get in more in depth on him, but he moves ahead of that list there. And that's, that's pretty interesting for central scouting right after him, Ryan Leonard from the national team development program. And I've had a lot of conversations lately. Ryan Leonard is the third most productive player on his line at the NTDP. However, there are a lot of teams that I've talked to that have said, this guy plays a winning brand of hockey. He plays the style that you need to play in the playoffs. Now he's with two incredibly skilled players and Will Smith and Gabe Perot who are more cerebral and dynamic, whereas Leonard is a goal scorer and he's physical and he goes and creates space for those guys. He does a lot of things well. The question becomes, how valuable is what he does versus what the more dynamic players do? Um, and in the modern NHL, you'll find the answer is still very, very valuable. So that's pretty interesting. Um, also, you know, a big time riser again, Nate Danielson playing in Brand Brandon this year. Um, Zach Benson was number six, uh, and then Danielson was number seven. So we've, you know, a lot of WHL guys, another interesting factor, you have to go 18th among North American skaters before you hit a defenseman on their ranking. And that's not really that shocking. We've said it for a while that this is a weak year for defensemen. If you are looking for a defenseman this season, 
you know, unless you have one of the first couple of picks, there's a lot of guys that have plenty of flaws that, and concerns among other players. So the highest ranked defenseman for central scouting is actually over on the European side. So we'll quickly run down the, the top European players. Leo Carlson is number one, edging out Matt Vay-Mitchkov. So you got two great players. I, that's not personally the order that I would have them in, but again, you fully understand there's a lot of other factors that are going to go into picking Matt Vay-Mitchkov. Um, but Leo Carlson tops the European list. Number three was Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, number four is Edward Schala. And then number five is David Reinbacher, the highest ranked defenseman. Uh, you also go Otto Stenberg. We get another defenseman in Axel Sandin Pelika at seventh. Lenny uh, Haminaho at eight. Daniel Boot at nine, and then Mikhail Gulaev at 10. That's the top 10 of the European skaters. A very interesting group of players there that I think, you know, offer a lot. So uh, we'll see exactly where they all end up and also where they end up on Flow Hockey's final draft rankings, which will come out in May. Uh, Still working on that. And there's a lot in flux and we've got a lot of events to go before we finish that off. All right. Had to take another water break before... I coughed all over my microphone. So uh, also in the central scouting, wanted to bring up 61 active USHL players were ranked in central scouting uh, this year. <coughs> coughed anyway. Um, 412 total players ranked. Obviously, there aren't 412 players that are going to get drafted. So always interesting to see kind of the way that works out. And it's a lot of players. <laughs> that is a lot of players. And um and that's why I'm really excited that we got a couple of questions that wanted to know a little bit more about this process. And while I'm not an expert in central scouting history, um, I do have a fair idea of kind of how teams utilize it and you know what they ultimately do. And that's why on our <coughs> first question, we are going to get into that. And th- this first question comes from Avco Cup. How about a bit of general how about a bit of a general explainer on central scouting? How it's funded, why it's needed, how many scouts do they have, how teams use the info produced, do some teams use it more than others? Really good question because I think it's it's not one that has a, a very clear 100% answer because NHL teams do use it. It's a guide to a certain extent. I think one of the most valuable things that central scouting does on an annual basis is try to identify the pool of players via their watch lists and things like that. So for somebody like me that analyzes the draft and prospects as a, you know, and and there's the entire world to, to track, they're giving me a bit of a list as a guide. Now, obviously I've got a lot of players that I've already kind of seen and, and, you know, have ideas about, but central scouting will allow to help fill those cracks. And it does the same thing for NHL teams. I've, I've talked to a lot of scouts and said, you know, the biggest thing is, is, is when the central scouting list comes out and there's a player on their list that we don't have on ours, you know, oftentimes uh, a scouting director or assistant GM, or maybe even the GM will say, Hey, you know, we don't, they have this guy this high. How come we don't have him at all? Um, and then there's also that, that, then that discussion goes, but, the team is always going to rely on the play, the people that they hired to do those jobs and their opinions are going to matter far more. The thing about central scouting is that sometimes general managers get involved in the, in the situation and, and they might have their own ideas and they don't see the players as much. 
And if they're not as comfortable delegating to their scouts, that could complicate things sometimes. It doesn't happen often, but it's certainly something that I've heard before um, from NHL teams. But let's let's just break down uh, our friend Avco Cup's uh, 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 question a little bit more directly here. So, you know, how it's funded, I mean, the the guys that work for NHL Central Scouting are are paid by the league. They're NHL employees. They have NHL, you know, email addresses. They um, Some of them are full-time. Dan Marr, of course, is the director. Um, you have uh, Goran Stube, who's who's run the European uh, Central Scout, the European Bureau of Central Scouting. Um, you know, they keep those separate lists and, and Goran Stube kind of more in charge of that list. Dan Marr more in charge of not just the North American list, but all of them, but certainly has the largest say in the North American list. Um, they have area scouts just like NHL teams do. There are people that cover the WHL specifically. There are people that cover the U.S. Um, and, you know, and so that and that's changed. There, there have been many people in the in the department. There have been fewer. I couldn't give you an exact count of the number of, of people that work there right now. But they try to operate like that 33rd NHL team. You know how, and, and then as far as how teams use the info produced, as I said, it's it's kind of a guide. It, it gives you a chance to fill some cracks. It gives you a chance to it's it's a second opinion more than anything. Um, uh, there are definitely some teams that are not wanting you to look at that, their scouts to look at that. They feel like it can sometimes cloud the judgment. It can you know kind of put a little bit of bias in your mind. That's you know that happens. But you know I would say that. <clears throat> by and large, a lot of the teams, you know, that it's it's just it's it's some it's an extra bit of information because I can tell you, like you know, I'm an independent draft person. <coughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, I'm an independent draft person, and you know, people have said that they looked at my list, or they had had Corey Promen's list, or they had Elite Prospects list, or you know, they. They put them all up and it's, it's all just for extra and extra opinion. And the other thing that it's really good for, because one of the things that teams do is they try to get a finger on the pulse of what everybody thinks, right? Whatever, like, cause you don't need to know, you want to have your list and you want to have it as locked down as you can possibly have it. But you also need to have an idea of what other teams are thinking about players. And so sometimes these outside exterior lists, lists like the one that Bob McKenzie makes where he gets opinions from from actual NHL scouts and polls them anonymously, those become important for understanding what's out there. And so if you say, well, we really like this guy at, you know, we hope we're, we're drafting 20th, but boy, it seems like the buzz around this guy just keeps continuing to grow. You know, I, I'm, you know, there's a lot of gossip in the scouting community too. It's like, oh, you know, like what is, where, where is he going to go? What's going to happen? You know, and so that can impact things like trading up or it can impact things like it's it's they take all of that information. And they try to create, you know, the scenario where it's like, hey, we think this guy is going to go a lot higher. We might want to move up. You know, those are the types of things that it can be beneficial for. It's not 100 percent, but, you know, there are definitely teams that use it in that way. So really good question. And I think, you know, uh, central scouting serves an important purpose for the public as well, because it's an independent professional list that is created by professional people that, you know, have, have scouting experience. Um, and, you know, certainly people like myself and others, you know, we, we may not have worked in on the team side, but, you know, there's some level of experience that kind of goes into what we've done. Uh, but these guys, you know, they're, that's the, their job is they're paid to 
strictly make these lists and, and go watch players. So that's a totally different thing uh, than what we do. And that's what makes central scouting pretty valuable. All right. Our next question here comes from F and it's uh, says, hi, Chris, love your work. Thank you very much. We always talk about the top 10 or top 64 prospects for the draft. Do you have any players that you think will be drafted later that could be a steal fourth to seventh round? Any favorites? Well, I actually decided to use central scouting as a guide for this to see how they feel relative to some of the players that I really like. And one player that I saw that was very far down their list on, uh, on, on central scouting at 220th among North American skaters is uh, Gabriel Stewart, who plays for the Kelowna Rockets. Um, really good player. I think, you know, he's, he is a, he is a 2003 birth date. So he is a, an overage for this draft. Um, he is definitely, I wouldn't say a high profile or, or high upside prospect, but I do think that he's a player that's worth a draft pick. And if you watched him this season with Kelowna, he took a major step offensively. He has good enough skill. He had 79 points in 56 games in the WHL this year after 41 last season was a big part of the Czech team that won the silver medal at the, at the world juniors this season. Um, you know, he, he had eight points on that team. He's got a bit of a spark plug, energetic kind of style to him. And then he's also got good skill. So what, what does he not have? He's not an amazing skater at 510 or, you know, close to 511. Um, but he is absolutely a guy that I think based on the season that he's had, based on the trajectory that he's shown over the last couple of years playing in North America. Um, although he did not have any points in the playoffs, which, you know, that could impact the person. Um, you know, I think that this is a player that could go in the, in the upper middle, you know, the middle rounds, the middle late rounds, like the fifth round kind of thing. Um, I think there is going to absolutely be a team that will take him. And I think that having him at 220th, while that's their opinion, that's fine. Um, I just don't think that that's exactly, I, I think this is a player that has enough buzz. So that's one player that, you know, I like quite a bit, um, in terms of, you know, what, what we're seeing. You know, another thing that I do for those late round guys is I look for players that I think if they're not picked in this draft, you know, what will, where do I think they'll go or do I think they'll become college free agents? That's another thing that I usually use as, as a guide is, is will, do, will they become a, will they become a college free agent uh, down the road? And that one guy I've said it last year and this year. You know, I wouldn't draft them until much later, but Zach Wisdom from the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders is definitely a player that I, I can see getting drafted. He had a big offensive season. He's physical. He's quick. Good on the forecheck. Really good work ethic on the ice. Um, you know, I think that there are definitely some – what's holding him back is, I, you know, I don't think he makes enough plays. He's not – the doesn't necessarily see it as well as other players, but the motor and the size and the, and the, and the just getting in on the forecheck and, and being physical and being disruptive. That's something that I think you can value. And that's a guy where, you know, if you just let him go to college, he's committed to Colorado college in a couple of years, you might be offering him a max ELC because a lot of teams are interested in him as a college free agent. So that's, I think a lot of teams are starting to do that now where they're taking re-entry players, guys like wisdom, and they're saying, Hey, let's get them. We, we got a better book on them now. Let's get them. Otherwise, we might have to compete for them later. And I think that that's a number of teams have have invested in that strategy of looking at those those overage players. So guys like Sturts and uh, and Wisdom are you know reentry players that you can get a better feel for. So really fascinated 
to see where those guys go. Those are two of the guys that I like, you know, that I don't necessarily think will be particularly high draft picks. All right. I always like these two because they make me critique other lists and I don't necessarily like to do that, but this is a good question from Luke. Nonetheless, Luke asks central scouting had Matthew Wood higher than expected and Riley Hyde a bit lower than I expected your opinion on why. Well, I think, you know, anytime you look at this, and, and again, this is their opinion, and I haven't made my final list yet, so I can't tell you definitively if I'll have Riley Height higher than Matthew Wood. Um, you know, I think that having Wood fourth is pretty aggressive, but it's not out of the question because I think there's a lot of things to like about his game, and we'll get into that a little bit more now. Now, Matthew Wood's about six foot three and a half, close to 200 pounds, good power forward, really good down low, has good hands, and he can score. So when you have a player that has size on top of that, plays well down low and has hands, that is something that is a little bit harder to find. Riley Height has, well, a lack of height. Not that he's a small player, but you know I think that that's a reason why he might be a little bit lower. He's five foot ten, so he's below average on the size spectrum. Um, you know, it, his skating has been a concern throughout the year. He's an incredible playmaker. I mean, he he makes a lot of plays in a game, and I think that's why a lot of you know public lists and and certainly a reason that I have a lot of time for him is that he sees the ice extremely well. He makes good decisions with the puck, and he is decisive. Um, and so that's really key. But the question is, is if you are if you don't have the pace and you don't have the size, that is usually the combo that becomes very scary for scouts. Um, it doesn't bother me as much if you have the hockey sense to go with it. You know, we talk, we're talking hockey sense, right? <laughs> Shameless plug of the show title, but that's a hugely valued trait. And I think if you were to look at those two players, height might have the hockey sense advantage, but what does Wood have? He has a size advantage. He's, he's skilled enough. Um, his feet aren't amazing either. I don't think his pace is very good, but he's got the size to make up for it and then the scoring ability. So that's where I see, you know, NHL teams are still, valuing size they're still valuing that heaviness and being difficult to play against you know, i talked to a scout months ago now about how good wood is down low everything below the goal line he wins a lot of puck paddles he's good at the net front he can score from distance as well you know so he can beat you a lot of different ways I think that's a reason why he's he's been a riser throughout the year so very good question two you know players on very different ends of the spectrum in terms of size and, and everything like that but you know, I think they're two really, really interesting players. So like where they're at um, and, and a great question. I really appreciate that question. All right. Here's a another fun one. This one is from Aaron, and we're going to get a little bit in depth on this because it involves the two players that everyone's really excited about. And that, of course, is Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. So Aaron asks, which lottery team would be the best fit for Bedard and Fantilli, in your opinion? Now, the cop-out answer would be to say all of them because you can make yourself instantly better by having one of those two players on your roster at the center position. Um, I don't know for 100% certainty that Connor Bedard will be an NHL center due to the size and, and, and everything like that. I think you want him to have the puck as much as humanly possible. And yeah, sure, he'll probably end up down the middle um, as, a, as a high, high-end goal scorer, but it's not you know, 100%. Um, so that's one thing to kind of keep an eye on. So for me, I, I actually think if a lot of teams in that range, if you get Connor Bedard, you're ecstatic, you're, you're in a different, you know, you look at the ducks, if they get Connor Bedard, then they have tremendous, tremendous skill 
at their disposal. They have, you know, Bedard. They would have Trevor Zegers, Troy Terry. You know, you look at Mason McTavish, who's more of the brawny guy, but he still has skill. You know, and then they have really talented defense. I think that the the issue is like all of a sudden you're saying, okay, well, we need to get bigger at some point if you're the Ducks as well. Even though McTavish has good strength, he's not necessarily a giant. You know, you still need size up front, especially when you have lighter forwards like like uh, like a Zegris and like a Terry, which is why I think actually Fantilli at six foot two, you know, a guy that's closing in on 200 pounds, a guy that plays with a bit of a mean streak, I think he'd be a great fit for Anaheim. So if they don't get Connor Bedard, I think Fantilli is a really nice fit for Anaheim. You know, uh, to me, I think Columbus could use either of them. And I actually, again, you know, you look at, you've got Johnny Goudreau and Patrick Laine, you've got some guys throughout in, and I think, you know, Connor Bedard would be a great fit there. Um, you know, to, to go into a team that already has a little bit more of a veteran presence around, I think helps. Um, and so Columbus to me is one of those teams that could compete for a playoff spot as soon as next season. Now they need to have some goaltending, you know, you have to have Zach Wierenski healthy. You have to have your decor, but I think David Juracek comes in and makes an impact immediately. I love the way that he played in the AHL this year. I think he's going to make a, a presence. He's not, you wouldn't want to have to lean on a player like him, but say, okay, you've got Johnny Gaudreau. We've got Patrick Laine, who's, you know, if, if he's healthy, he can, and the top of his game, he can make a big presence. And then you've got, you know, Connor Bedard. How do you stop that group? And then, and then if you're Columbus at that point, you do get Connor Bedard to say, how much else can we put around him? How, how do we fix the goaltending situation? How do we get everything in, in, in order? But those are our teams that I think are absolutely in the mix to, you know, make a significant impact. Um, and really, I mean, it, the same kind of goes for everybody. Again, I'd say, you know, the cop out is to say all of the teams because, you know, Connor Bedard is going to make any single team better. Um, you know, I think that if you're San Jose and you get Connor Bedard, you say, okay, well, we've got some guys that they can play with, with some size and some pace. And, you know, that we have some, some infrastructure, all of a sudden it makes a, a hundred point defenseman and Eric Carlson that much more valuable. Um, you know, so that's, that's key as well. But I mean, it's really, you know, it's really interesting to kind of sort through these teams. You know, how much of a difference could a guy like a, a Connor Bedard make in Philadelphia? They haven't had a player like that. I mean, Claude Giroux was a tremendous player and, and just a, a franchise, you know, just cornerstone for so long there. Um, of course, he's now long gone, but, you know, you look at a Connor Bedard going into Philly, I mean, it changes the whole dynamic and whole outlook of your organization now the interesting factor would be how does Connor Bedard and John John Tortorella get along that seems like that might not be the best best match but you know what if you put Connor Bedard with Alex Ovechkin in Washington you know I mean like it's 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 amazing to think of the possibilities that exist here of course there are only 10 teams that can make uh the make the first overall pick um because you can only move up 10 spots and the longest odds belong to the Vancouver Canucks, which is the team that Connor Bedard grew up rooting for. And to have gone through so many years with the Cedine brothers and then to maybe have a chance at Connor Bedard and then have a one-two punch of Connor Bedard and Elias Pettersson for however long, I mean, we're talking a very instant competitiveness for, for them. Uh, but but I, as I mentioned, I think Fantilli is a really good fit for any of those teams as well. Um, particularly, I think he'd be a great fit for the Ducks stylistically within the Western Conference. He has good speed. He's got the physicality. He's a guy that would make an impact there. Um, you know, but I so, so I think when you finish last in the league, 
you know, there's always the chance you lose the draft lottery and they have a very real chance. And I think, you know, if, if you end up with Adam Fantilli out of that mix, you're gonna be really happy. I think they'd be happy too with Leo Carlson as well. And that would get some size in their, in their group as well. But, you know, those are the teams that, that I think we, we need to kind of focus on because they're the most likely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these are two players that are gonna make a humongous impact no matter where they go. Uh, but hopefully I didn't completely cop out on that answer. Well, we want to keep it short and sweet today, and I think I even kept it a little bit longer than I wanted to. But before we get out of here, um, and and there's a lot more to come. Again, USHL playoffs are coming up. We will talk about that. We will get more into the Under-18 World Championship as the tournament progresses next week. Um, We'll also be talking more about the ECHL Kelly Cup playoffs, AHL Calder Cup playoffs. I mean, there is so much to get to beneath the NHL right now. It is just a tremendous time of year. Uh, But before we got out of here, I did want to take a couple of seconds – a bit of a sad note, you know, if, if you are familiar with prospects, or you're familiar with uh, Seattle hockey, you probably know Andy Ide and, and you and have heard his name and you've probably read his work or maybe you've heard his voice. And uh, we lost Andy uh, this week. Um, he, he had suffered a stroke actually at uh, getting ready to cover a Seattle Kraken game. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Andy did not recover um, and he passed away. Uh, but this is a guy that, you know, I got to know through the digital medium, um, you know, talking hockey and then going on his podcast sound of hockey and, and, and going on, uh, you know, he was, he was a big, big voice in the WHL, especially in the U S um, you know, he, he worked for the Seattle Thunderbirds as a color analyst for a while. And, um, just a, a great human being, somebody that you love to be around, uh, somebody that you really love to hear from and somebody that I think made everybody that came into his orbit feel welcome um and that is probably the best compliment you can give anybody how did you treat other people um and andy treated people like gold because he was a a gold person himself i mean he was just an absolute uh, beauty you know as we say in hockey um and he is going to be so sorely missed and my heart goes out to everybody that loved andy because that is a very very large group uh, especially my pals at uh, at the Sound of Hockey podcast, Darren and, and John, who who lost a co-host and also um, a, just a tremendous friend. And uh, you know, I, it, as I watched the Seattle Kraken win their first playoff game, couldn't help but think of Andy and uh, how much I wish that he was able to be there for that because uh, I'm sure he was watching. But you know that that it was it was hard knowing that you know he put in so much work and 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 it really made his life, you know, that, that the Kraken were there. He, he covered them for the NHL.com and, and a number of other outlets. And um, yeah, we're, we're just going to miss him a whole bunch. And so Andy, wherever you are, buddy, uh, we're thinking of you and uh, we love you. And uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely going to miss you. Well, yeah, that's about it for this week, everybody. I really appreciate you stopping by. Thanks to everybody that asked questions. Huge thanks to Nico Reyna for, uh, for, for, producing this here podcast, doing a great job and getting those tweets up on the screen that you saw there and, and also helping me with my technical difficulties, which apparently I'm old now. So, uh, but thanks a lot to Nico for that. And, and thanks to you for listening. I really do appreciate it listening or watching wherever you may be. Hope that you are enjoying the podcast. We're going to have a lot more coming up. We've got a lot to get to. So don't miss any more episodes. You can go on flowhockey.tv. You can go on YouTube. You can download us wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you are finding Talking Hockey Sense. You're listening to it, you're watching it, and you're staying up to date on everything in the prospect world. I'm so glad you could join me this week. That's going to do it for now. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.